Hey everyone, welcome to the Mobile User Acquisition Show. In the Mobile User Acquisition Show, we talk about how to use mobile user acquisition strategies to grow your app quickly and capital efficiently. The Mobile User Acquisition Show is presented by me, Shamant Rao, mobile growth leader and founder and CEO of the mobile growth consulting firm, Rocketship HQ. Each episode includes strategies, tips, and pointers from the leading edge of mobile user acquisition that you can use to unlock tremendous growth for your app in a sustainable and capital-efficient manner. Our guest today is Colette Nataf. Colette is the founder and CEO at Lightning AI. In today's conversation, Colette describes three potential scenarios that might ensue after the rollout of the app tracking transparency framework in iOS 14. She goes over the best, worst, and mid-link scenarios and talks through how we might prepare for the worst. She illustrates the possibilities with the experience of a company that she's worked with that is already using web-based flows for the user acquisition today in a pre-iOS 14 world. And she outlines exactly how the different aspects of user acquisition might change come January. I'm very excited to welcome Colette Nataf to the Mobile User Acquisition Show. Colette, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Yeah, Colette, I'm thrilled to have you, certainly because I love the last episode that we did record. You know, you talked about automation, and I like that because you are one of those people that has actually skin in the game. You actually built out fairly elaborate automation systems for your company, and you know what you're talking about. And I think it's a very similar topic that we're talking about today, which is what's happening with iOS 14, and what are some of the worst-case scenarios that you're preparing people for? Because you're clearly advising a lot of people, a lot of companies just now. And I would say a lot of them can be freaked out. At least certainly very many people we know uh, are concerned about what might unfold. And certainly, I think the last time you spoke, you yeah. t- told me about how you're preparing people for what could be the worst-case scenario. I think a good place to start would be to look at the lay of the land. Uh, what are some of the scenarios that you are preparing people for? In terms of scenarios, you know, there's, it starts with best case. So best case is all the MMPs built out the perfect prediction models. They all have probabilistic algorithms that match click data to install data, and they figured everything out, and everything just magically works. So that's best case. Best case is Nothing changes. We as marketers just go about our day. We switch over to iOS 14 and everything's perfect and we have perfect data and it all just works. That's option one. Option two is somewhere in the middle. Some stuff works. It works on some platforms Like we have perfect data for the Apple networks, but maybe not so perfect for Facebook or for other networks, maybe bigger networks are better and other ad networks aren't, (laughs) or some kind of combination of getting imperfect data. So maybe like click works, but view through doesn't, something like that. So that's middle of the road. And then worst case scenario is we've lost all tracking. We have no data. MMPs don't work at all. 
We can't use any dashboards anymore. <laughs> Everything looks like it's organic and uh, it's a mess. In our case, we're preparing for all three of those. Obviously we're hoping for the best, but we do want to have solutions in our back pocket in case it's something we've seen or it really is the worst case scenario if all of the tracking is gone and we've got to really backtrack. All three are possible. And I think it's good to think about what happens in each of those scenarios. And certainly you've seen how very different types of apps, very different types of companies might prepare and adapt mm-hmm. for each of these things. And specifically, I know you mentioned the last time we spoke, you're currently working with a company who do acquisition without any SDKs. And you mentioned to me the last time that that's an experience that could be somewhat close to the worst case scenario. Mm-hmm. So can you, can you speak to this company, how they operate and what some of the learnings might be from what they are already doing. Yeah, absolutely. So I think it's a great example. So we work with a company that is a privacy app. What that means is that they're all about data protection. Uh, They want to be able to keep all of your information private and not allow large corporations to mine your data and use that information for whatever (laughs) nefarious purposes they might have. I think that's all well and good, but as every mobile app knows, you usually need advertising to get yourself off the ground. And also, as mobile app marketers know, Facebook is a really great way to acquire users, especially for people concerned about privacy. A lot of people are on Facebook and people are concerned about the data usage that is going on both on Facebook and for people who are a little savvy, also on Instagram. So this company, it would go very much against their fundamentals to install the Facebook SDK. And they've actually taken it a step further. They don't have any MNCs. They have no SDKs installed in their app, which is pretty incredible. They've built everything in-house. And what that means is that because they don't have any SDKs, because they don't have a Facebook SDK, they don't have an MMP, they need to do things flying blind and figure out ways to understand attribution without that power. So this is really my example of the worst case scenario because they're already operating in that worst case scenario world where we don't have any attribution at all. What they do and what they've found as a solution is that they run Facebook ads on on mobile devices, but to a landing page on mobile web. On the landing page, the user enters in their phone number and their text message. They're sent a text message with the link to install and download the app. So what's actually happening is that they're kind of going way back in time before any kind of mobile tracking was a thing. And they're putting UTM URL parameters into that URL. They have their campaign name, the campaign ID, et cetera. And they're linking that to the cell phone number when somebody installs the app. That's how they bury those two data points together. So I mean, also it's going to be, you know, a little imperfect. Maybe somebody gets their cell phone number wrong. Maybe they leave the page and go directly to the app store, but at least you have some data. So you're able to optimize your campaigns. You're able to figure out which of these ads is the best performer. And then they can actually use conversion optimizer on Facebook with the pixel. So um, when somebody enters in their cell phone number and confirms, that's that's the event that they target. So no SDKs. Yeah. And they're still making it work. So I'm here to say it's possible. This worst case scenario happening in the world where mobile marketers have made it work. Yeah, I think that's incredible. Also because 
didn't have to do this. It was an ideological stance, which I find yeah. to be incredibly rare in this day and world. They built out this solution, which is a very creative way of still growing. They're not sacrificing growth at all. Uh-huh. So out of curiosity, did prices change for them? What's CPM like when they just ran uh-huh. a web ba- web-based flow? Yeah, it's a great question. So in terms of CPMs, I haven't noticed a huge difference there for mobile app installs versus mobile web. The difference really comes down the funnel and it's, it's really in that install event. There's more steps to complete. You're not going directly to the app store. And so the install rates are, are low and that's just going to be true. There's no way to avoid it. Anytime you add steps in your funnel, you're going to see drop off. I think their install rate is probably half of what it would be if it were running directly to the app store, it's hard to tell also because obviously with click and view through attribution, yeah. there are some tangibles that we don't know about, but I, I think that costs are definitely higher overall because of that. And, you know, similarly, Facebook uses the conversion data to feed into their algorithm so that they're finding the, the right users. So if they don't have that install data, it could be anybody. It could be people who like putting in their cell phone numbers, but you know, don't yeah. want to install any apps. And especially with yeah. privacy app, you, you don't yeah. necessarily know who those people are going to be or what things they're going to be happy doing. But I, I think overall, you're adding to the funnel and you have to expect that drop off. So there are going to be changes, not necessarily on the CPM level, maybe not even at the click level, yeah. but at that conversion rate to install, you're going to see a drop off and that's a big difference. Yeah. So for a mobile marketer that is looking to explode this sort of a flow, what mm-hmm. sort of delta should they expect in the CPI if they shifted? Yeah, I I would expect up to double the CPI. Yeah. So it's a pretty big increase. And that's just what happens when you don't have any data. Yeah. And clearly this app has made it work. And do you anticipate that because that sort of personalization goes away, maybe the CPMs will drop. Maybe that'll make up for the 2x erosion mm-hmm. in the downstream conversion rates. Is that like within the realm of possibility? How, or how do you think about that? It's hard to know. There's yeah. always supply and demand question. Yeah. Right now yeah. we're in kind of the middle of the beginning to middle of October and I'm seeing yeah. huge CPMs increase and I assume are from yeah. the election in the US. So there's a lot of macro trends that are going on at the same time. So it's hard to know. I think that if we assume iOS 14 is going to roll out in January, January is historically like the lowest CPM month. So it's a good time to be experimenting, which is great because we have some flexibility as marketers. But that being said, if you're making your budgets right now for 2021, I'd pad January. I would just be aware of the reality that things are changing and we don't know what that means. There's no way to prepare 100% for something that is is unknown so hopefully we'll see low cpms in january all the holiday stuff is going to be done the elections are going to be maybe one hopes so that would be ideal i mean i think the other reality is like we're going to have to change our app and while you're preparing for kind of worst case scenario web-based flow it's a good idea to maybe change your end cards and say like give us your cell phone number and we'll text yeah. you and install the app Maybe yeah, even yeah, have yeah. like an example of what that looks like. This is a while ago now, like six years ago, but when I worked for MileIQ, we actually 
in our in our TV spot, we had a picture of someone sitting on the couch watching the TV ad, and we would show the guy going to the app store and installing mm-hmm. the app. So not necessarily a bad idea to explain what that flow is going to look like uh, to yeah. prep the user so that when they actually get to the page, they're not like, this isn't the app store. Are you lying to me? What is this weird place where I am? Yeah, the app store user flow isn't intuitively clear for a lot of people. So certainly I think that makes sense, especially if you're watching it in a different context, be it a web page or a TV ad. To switch gears a bit, how do you anticipate targeting to change should web-based campaigns become more prevalent? Yeah, absolutely. So right away, I would say broad targeting is just not going to work. Broad works right now because we have the data going in about who's making purchases, who's doing those downstream events. If the best thing that you have is something before install, that's not going to work for broad anymore. So I think that's going to be really different. A lot of advertisers rely on broad targeting to be their bread and butter. And if that whole bucket is gone, you're going to have to reallocate your spend to other places. The other thing that might not work as well or even at all or lookalikes, if we don't have a way of using dynamic data that Facebook can pull in directly for purchases for engaged users, possible they might not work. And if they do work, it's probably going to be either at the very low or very high end of the spectrum. I can imagine that either like a 1% is going to work very well because it's going to be a very targeted audience or like you need to have a splattering to cover kind of everybody. And so you need that larger 10% in order to make it work. What I'm telling people and what I'm kind of also banking on is that interest-based targeting is going to be a bigger, a bigger chunk of that budget and a bigger set of groups that people are going to be using. The good news is Facebook has so much data about everybody, which is why privacy apps make sense to advertise on Facebook. But, you know, Facebook knows everything about everyone pretty much, I just assume. The targeting works. And when you have small interest groups, you can make sure that you're finding exactly the right audience. The downside is that those are smaller groups. So you have to find more of them in order to make that successful. But I think definitely broad is going to be out. I don't know how retargeting is going to work, but hopefully we can figure that one out. We'll see. It's going to be interesting. Yeah. And for what it's worth, I tell people that this is how we did things before lookalikes came along. And there was a world of that sort. It's certainly something we can go back to. Absolutely. uh, I mean, when I started advertising broad, it was a crazy idea. We were like, why would we launch a target that has no targeting. That's crazy. It wasn't even that long ago that these ideas were brand new. So that's a little bit of a step backward, but sometimes you have to go backward to go forward. Yeah, totally. And uh, let's say somebody had to set up a landing page flow of the sort you described, right? So user goes there, enter their phone number, and then get a link to download the app. How easy would this be to set up? Mm-hmm. Are there off-the-shelf solutions? Let's just say somebody yeah. is like, let's start preparing. What would be the first steps? The good news is that there's easy ways to make the web page. There's a whole bunch of different places where you can make landing pages and probably whatever push solution or email automation solution you're using also has some kind of SMS option. 
portfolio is pretty easy and, and cheap. So that part is easy. The hard part is connecting those two pieces together because what you need to do is not just have a landing page where somebody can put in their phone number because if you just have that, the user is still lost. We don't know where they're coming from. So what you need to be able to do is take the parameters in the URL, say it came from this specific campaign, this targeting, this ad, and feed that into your database and connect it with that link that's coming through the text message. So you need really a personalized link in that text message. You need to have their cell phone number and you need the URL parameters and all of that needs to feed in somewhere into a database. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's the hard part, right? That marketers can't do on our own. So really to do that, you need a backend engineer or some kind of data person who is a skilled programmer. I feel like it's the kind of thing where I know enough to be dangerous. It could end up screwing up my database. You don't want to do that. You've got to call for yeah. reinforcements here. This is serious. Yeah. This is serious. This is like writing information into a big bucket of truth. You want to make sure it's actually right. So I would definitely try and get on your engineering team's radar right now. And again, yeah. it might not be something that you even end up using, right? So that's the reality. You might be building this. You might kind of do all of this work and then it doesn't even matter. But I personally hedge on the side of caution. And so for me, being prepared and having this as a backup solution I, I feel it's a better option than just throwing up your hands and saying, well, January, we're just yeah. lost. So yeah. definitely it's time to, to start talking to your product manager or your engineering team or someone who can yeah. help you out with this because you're, yeah. you're going to need some kind of real backend dev. It's not something that you can fully do on your own. Yeah. Are there off-the-shelf solutions that might be sort of plug and play? I don't know any that are going to take the UTM parameters and then put it into your database. The only thing that I was thinking of is maybe segment you could use because segment will link the segment will store the data from the website. So we'll have the URL and then maybe sure. a smart data person could join that table with data downstream from the mobile app. Mm -hmm, I haven't mm -hmm. done it with segment directly, so I'm not sure. Maybe like MParticle, kind of same same idea that they're bringing data from these different places and so you might be able to do it, but nothing like this exists because we never needed it. Yeah. And like you said, we might never need it. Yeah. yeah. I don't think anybody's like sitting at home like, oh, I've got a new business idea because it might be a terrible idea. Like, yeah. so I, I don't think anybody yeah. is preparing to like put an SDK into your app to track something that may or may not be relevant. Definitely. So the good news is as marketers, we're pretty good at building landing pages. Yeah, that yeah. part we've got down. I think yeah. it's just the, the rest of it, the, the connectivity that makes this a little bit of a challenge. Certainly. And all of this, obviously, we've talked about in the context of Facebook. What happens to non-Facebook channels and how do you see budget shifting? Should this be the prevalent dynamic? that prevails. Yeah, I think it's going to be really interesting. So let's just assume the prices increase by 50% on Facebook to get an install. So what that means is that now Facebook is no longer the best option. And a lot of these other networks that people have said are interesting, but aren't a big chunk of the budget, 
become a lot more repetitive. So things like Snapchat, TikTok, definitely. Maybe even UAC increases budget, but I don't know how UAC is going to work also because there's no targeting. So I don't know about that one, but let's assume Google figures it out. I think that those kinds of other places are going to become a lot more competitive because Facebook is no longer the, the star. That's where it gets interesting in my mind. What is the next rising option? Is it Pinterest? Pinterest has a lot of targeting options that people could be able to use and leverage, but the Pinterest audience, while large in certain demographics, is small overall. Same with Snapchat. TikTok, I don't know. I mean, I use TikTok every day, but I <laughs> maybe, maybe I'm the only one in my age group. So I, I think that those are questions. What's that next? option. And this is a question we've been asking since I got into marketing. What's the option after Google and Facebook? And we've never really had an answer. That's how am I like you, we ended up running TV ads to begin with. We were like, what do we do with all this money that we got from Microsoft? Like, thanks for the acquisition. Now we have millions and millions of dollars. We can't spend it only on Facebook. So let's throw some ads on TV. Yeah. Yeah, so, I yeah, don't know, yeah. maybe TV is that channel. Yeah, what, what I'm hearing you say is there will be budgets migrating outside of Facebook. There'll be more fragmentation. That certainly makes sense. And are there any interesting or surprising channels that you think might open up that may not be somewhat on the right radar? Yeah, so what's interesting is if we're doing a mobile web flow, then... UAC doesn't matter. So what yeah. I'm really excited oh. about is like, can we use YouTube again? <laughs> I, I would yeah. love to be able to use YouTube targeting again. The best yeah. set of ads I ever ran ever in my like eight years of marketing were YouTube ads directed at people who listened to rap music, who were watching videos on how to fix their dishwasher. You can't make that up. I don't know why it performed so well. Like it crushed it. Best ad I've ever run. So I would love to see that again. I'd love to be able to use regular display advertising again and see how it works on web. See if it does anything. I think there's a lot of web focused channels that don't necessarily have mobile app installed products or that don't have them really built out well that that could open up. Similarly, if costs are increasing, we might even see LinkedIn for business apps. That could be interesting too. Although I will say my LinkedIn feed is 99% junk right now. So I don't know how well that's performing, but there's a lot of channels that we've ditched because they don't have the mobile app install unit or it's not very good. That become more interesting when you're thinking mobile web. Definitely. And speaking of YouTube, search becomes an option. Certainly native Uh ads, search can be huge. And native ads, they do have app installed products, but certainly having a web uh, thing can make them much, much more powerful, much more impactful. Uh How does all of this change? How marketing teams are structured? How how do you see that playing out? Yeah. I mean, if this is going to really become a thing, you're going to need to have at least a part-time engineering person kind of around to make sure everything's working. And you're definitely going to need to have a data person. Marketers are great at a lot of things and we've become really good at reporting analytics, but that is very different than becoming a data scientist or a data engineer. 
And the truth is that if we're going to have to pair data together from three, four, five different sources, that's, that's where you really need a data person on your team. You do not want to be putting that together and like VLOOKUPs and pivot tables. We're all on Macs. I think they would all break. So you're definitely going to want somebody with some more coding experience, some SQL, some database, and they don't necessarily have to come from mobile. It can be anybody. The good news is that data science is a very hot field right now. So there's a lot of people coming into the industry out of college who could be really good fits for this. I don't think you need to have the most advanced data scientists in the world, but you are going to need somebody who has that skill set. And also if you have a full analytics team or some kind of BI or engineering, that person can communicate between the engineering teams, um, especially in case something is wrong and with marketing. Since you're doing it in-house, you don't have to necessarily wait for an update from AppSquire. The hard thing is now you're going to be facing with engineering, and so you're going to be you know, waiting on the queue that everybody else is, and you're really going to need to be able to make your case. And so I think having somebody who's a little bit more technical on the team is, is going to make a really big difference, not only with the data analysis, but also just the politics of the world of engineering and um, yeah. making sure that those very limited resources are allocated to marketing when that team needs help. Certainly. And I think there's been an ongoing shift towards having more engineering resources mm-hmm. in marketing over the last couple of years. And what I'm hearing you say is this will only accelerate that process mm-hmm. of marketing being not just media buying, so to speak. Yeah, absolutely. When you're controlling millions and millions of dollars, you have to be able to figure out (laughs) if it's doing its job. Yeah, yeah, certainly. Colette, I think this has been an incredibly new way of looking at everything that we're confronting and we're going through. And as has been the case every time I've spoken to you, there's just so much I've learned, uh, especially (laughs) just a new way of looking at the circumstances that we are confronting. Uh, This is perhaps a good place for us to wrap. But before we do that, can you tell folks how they can find out more about you and everything you do? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm Colette Nishak. I'm CEO and founder of a company called Lightning AI. You can find us on lightningai.com or you can find me on LinkedIn. Send me a message. Just say, you know, I heard about you on a podcast and I've actually had people do that before. So that was fun. I do reply if you want to talk about future of the world or anything else about marketing and ads. I'm, I'm here. I love meeting new people and getting connected. So find me and let's chat. Absolutely. We'll link to all of that in the show notes. And something that Colette, maybe you are perhaps too humble to mention is that is your median. Certainly something I've enjoyed reading. <laughs> Certainly something I've found very you know, inspiring. I somebody... Well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. I had somebody write me a comment calling one of my articles the Trump Doctrine, which was the craziest comment I've ever gotten on the internet. I don't know oh, wow. like what it was or how I rubbed her the wrong way, but I'm such a progressive Bernie supporter. I still have my Bernie sign in my window. So that was a little Crazy. interesting. Excellent, Colette. So this has been great. Thank you so much for being at the Mobile User Acquisition Show. Yeah, thanks so much. It's been fun, as always. Thank you for listening to the Mobile User Acquisition Show. If any of this was helpful or instructive, I would love for you to leave us a review or rating on iTunes, Stitcher, Overcast, or wherever you get your podcast fix. This podcast takes a ton of time, effort, and love to produce, 
and I deeply value every review and every piece of feedback that you share. Thank you for listening, and I will look forward to sharing our next episode soon.